It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. We had a very smart caller last evening who asked me what I thought was a relatively straightforward question. Can the Vice President of the United States, as the President of the Senate, break a tie vote, cast a tie vote, should there be a 50-50 vote for a Supreme Court nominee? And I said yes. After the program, I wasn't happy with that answer. And I think the caller's inference is it's fairly complicated. The caller, if that was his inference, is correct. So I spent a lot of time last night and very early this morning studying this issue, reading what's available out there. Of course, the text of the Constitution and the plain reading of the Constitution really is about process and legislation, not about nominees. Then I've looked at the history and several nominees to various positions in the executive branch have in fact been confirmed by 51 to 50 votes or the equivalent thereof with the vice president casting the the tie-breaking vote as the president of the Senate. But this has never, ever happened with the Supreme Court. The occasion has never presented itself. And I'm going to discuss this maybe later this hour, but certainly by the second hour. There's only one court mentioned in the Constitution. It's the United States Supreme Court. Congress created all the other courts. Uh, The circuit courts, uh, how many circuit courts there would be, how many judges on the circuit courts, the federal district courts and other courts. But not the Supreme Court. So while the number of justices was not provided for in the Constitution, the court itself was. So just to give you a little taste of this, and I will jump into this much more deeply... I went and looked at the Federalist Papers. We have a few hints from Hamilton there. But the biggest hint, again, is going back to the text. The plain reading of the text. It does not encompass nominees. Now, we have a history of nominees receiving votes from vice presidents as presidents presidents of the Senate, but not as Supreme Court justices. And again, the Supreme Court is the only court mentioned in the Constitution. And it's mentioned in Article 3. Article 1, broadly stated, Congress. Article 2, broadly stated, the Executive Branch. Article 3, broadly stated, the adjudication, the court. So I got to thinking, do we really believe the framers of the Constitution would give the executive branch the power to nominate an individual to the Supreme Court? And should there be a tie to confirm that same individual? Now think about what I'm saying. I have not seen this argument anywhere. I'm just trying to digest everything that I took in. I don't believe this would serve the purposes of an independent court or separation of powers. Mark Levin.
In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, since I started it, I guess I should elaborate a little bit and underscore it. So the backbenchers, when they regurgitate it tomorrow, they will, they will have this straight. As you know, to keep it as elementary as I can, the Constitution sets up three separate branches. This wasn't a foregone conclusion. There were big battles over this, trying to figure it out best way to handle this. There were also objections to the proposal that the vice president should be the president of the Senate. But quite frankly, they didn't know what other job to give the vice president. And so if the Senate's tied, they needed a way to address that. So the vice president serving as the president of the Senate, you know, the vice president of the United States could sit up at that chair in the Senate every day. Because She's the president of the Senate. Doesn't have a lot of power. Cast a vote. You know, oversee the uh, parliamentary procedures or Robert's rules, if you will. So if there's a tie vote, she can vote to break the tie votes on legislation. What about on nominees? Early on, when it came to certain types of nominees, vice president would cast the vote. There was some debate about it, not a lot of litigation. There's a little bit of litigation about this, actually, but not a ton. And um, then you see uh, situations, particularly starting in the 70s, where these votes would get closer and closer, so a vice president might need to break a tie vote. Now, Vice President Pence voted many times more than most vice presidents, to break a tie vote for cabinet nominees. For instance, uh, Betsy DeVos. Now, why did he have to do that? Because, really, the attack on Trump's ability to fill his government was like nothing else we'd ever seen. So you'd have these close votes, and Pence was, as president of the Senate, he voted several times on nominees, 51-50, to get them over the finish line. And there's a couple of instances of procedures that allowed uh, the voting of a judge. Whether they needed a majority vote or they needed to overcome the filibuster. There's never been such a vote on a Supreme Court nominee. There's never had to be. And I'm going to predict to you right now there won't be here. Why? 
because you'll have members of the Senate like Romney, Collins, Murkowski, and they're not alone, who are not going to want to stop the installing of, quote-unquote, a historic figure. You might even have Lindsey Graham. I don't know. I don't think you're going to see 50 Republicans voting no. Unless Biden does something truly outrageously stupid. And I think they'll be a little bit more careful on this, and they won't just leave it to his own devices. But that aside, as a practical matter, as I say, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think there's any good arguments, as I've studied this now, for the position that the Vice President of the United States can cast a tie vote to confirm a Supreme Court justice. I think all the arguments are to the negative. We talked about the three branches, separation of powers. Supreme Court justices are lifetime appointees to make them independent from the other branches. And it would be a strange... A strange thing indeed if the entire procedures set up in the Constitution to create these separate branches competing against themselves in hopes that they'll be co-equal to prevent the concentration of power. It would be strange indeed if the argument is that a president can nominate a a potential justice to the Supreme Court and in a 50-50 Senate, should that be the, the, uh, the, the vote, that his vice president, by casting her vote, could then confirm to a lifetime appointment under Article 3 a Supreme Court justice nominated by her boss. I don't know how much more clearly I can say it, Mr. Producer. I see no support for that. None whatsoever. Even though it wasn't teed up exactly as I said for all the other reasons when you read the Federalist Papers when you look at the the structure of the Constitution when you look at the arguments that were made in Philadelphia to allow the Vice President as the President of the Senate to cast a tie-breaking vote on a Supreme Court Justice literally undermines the entire enterprise but here's the next question So number one, I don't see it happening as a practical matter. Number two, I don't think constitutionally uh, it could be supported in any way. Anyway, but here's the next question, number three. The Democrats are brazen. They're power hungry. They're rogue. They have no respect for the Constitution, even though they wave it around when they can. And those who wrote it, they've made that abundantly clear. And they want to change it not by convention, not by amendment, but by a 50-50 vote in the Senate with the help of the Vice President, 51-50, and three or four extra votes in the House. So they are more than happy to embrace lawlessness. And should they do that, should the situation arise where it's 50-50, and Harris despite what I'm saying to you, votes to confirm the nominee, so it's 51-50. Remember, the House has no role in this. What can the Republicans do? You know, you might say, sue them, take it to the Supreme Court. 
But the Supreme Court has an interest in this too. You're talking about adjudicating the issue of whether one of its members can be chosen effectively by the Vice President of the United States with a tie vote. Would the Supreme Court take the case up? Would they call it a political question? Of course, it's bigger than a political question under the political doctrine. This is a four corners constitutional issue, just as it was during the last election when you had uh, different state officials changing the election processes in these various states when only the state legislature can do it. That was a teed up Four Corners constitutional issue that the court not only should have taken up because it didn't, it is created, and you will see quite a bit of electoral anarchy, I, I predict. So that will be a question, too. The court takes it up, nobody can stop them. If it doesn't take it up, nobody can stop them. But you wouldn't want a justice serving on the Supreme Court based on that scenario, I can tell you that. Because that justice will never be looked at as legitimate. Oh, they may make movies about that justice and Hollywood is the first this or the first that. But there will always be that asterisk. Always. For those who care. But who knows? So if you take the opposite position, you... You bump into, you don't bump into, you crash into the separation of powers issue. You crash into the text of the Constitution. You crash into the Federalist Papers. And you crash into the fact that you really don't have any argument to support your position. Other than to say that a vice president serving as Senate has voted before on nominations. We're not talking about nominations. We're talking about the Supreme Court the only court that is actually created directly by the United States Constitution. I hope that clears things up. I want to thank the gentleman last night. I forget his name for the question. Uh, It deserved more attention, and now I'm giving it more attention. This much we do know. I'm going to take a little early break here because I'm going to need the bit longer segment. I have an article in front of me, Black Lives Matter Unaccounted For After Leaders Quietly Jump Ship. Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Because we had to deal with this for two years. What is going on at Black Lives Matter right now? Does it even exist? We'll be right back. Mark Levin. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. We're in a very precarious situation, ladies and gentlemen. We have really a phony commander-in-chief. I don't know who is in charge of this country, the executive branch, but it's quite obvious Joe Biden is easily manipulated. We have a secretary of state 
a pseudo-elite Ivy League intellectual, I said pseudo, uh, who is a disaster, a Secretary of Defense who's demonstrated that he's a disaster, as well as the top generals. With a military that's underfunded and demoralized, it's a very bad situation. A very bad situation. And um, we have uh, a situation where our foreign policy is provocative because it's been appeasement-oriented. The pipeline back to Russia, the way Biden did that while he was also killing our own domestic pipelines, is really outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. The way he and his fellow Democrats talk about Trump and the Republican Party, you would have thought that they were Xi or Putin or some of these. But no. They see what's going on internally in the United States. They see we're getting weaker and weaker economically and otherwise as a result of Biden's policies. We discussed this at great length, that our enemies are rooting for the re-election, excuse me, for the election of Joe Biden. Of course, there's a lot of blame to go around. His family, him, the Democrat Party, and of course, our pathetic, corrupt media, which remains pathetic and corrupt. Now, these isolationists, whatever political party they're in, whatever positions they hold, in the end, they result in causing more American deaths than they save. Because as these enemies rise up and they get stronger and they get more aggressive, we get not just weaker, we're stuck. We're stuck. What do we do? And, of course, they paint things as utterly black and white, as most propagandists, too. It's either full-scale war or full-scale appeasement. Really. This is why I've, I've never been thrilled with the McCain, Lindsey Graham, and at times Rubio mindset that we should be intervening so often. On the other hand... I've always rejected the Buchanan view, which is very much the George McGovern view, which takes the completely opposite position. Reaganism was the answer. And if you really look at what Trump did on foreign policy, much of it was similar to what Reagan did. Much of it was similar to what Reagan did. The United States intervenes to repel air attack on the United Arab Emirates, New York Times. The U.S. Air Force said it intervened on Monday to repel an attack on the UAE amid an escalation of tensions between the Gulf nation and the ran-back Houthi rebels in Yemen. They used the Houthi rebels the way they use Hezbollah. The Emirati Ministry of Defense said its air defense forces had intercepted and destroyed two missiles fired by the Houthi rebels, not immediately clear whether the U.S. and Emirati defenses were responding to the same missile strike. Iran is on the move. Iran is going to have ICBMs with nuclear missiles, excuse me, with nuclear warheads. Israel had a coup of its own in many respects with respect to Netanyahu. Phony, phony charges raised. Phony clouds created over the man. 
the one hand, he's constantly looking over his shoulder. On the other hand, as prime minister, he was duking it out with the Iranians and others. And now they have a guy by the name of Bennett, who's an incompetent, weak opportunist. Sounds like the president that we have to deal with now, doesn't it? Taiwan reports new large-scale Chinese Air Force incursion, U.S. News, via Reuters. Taiwan Sunday reported the largest incursion since October by the Chinese in its air defense zone, with the island's defense ministry saying Taiwanese fighters scrambled to warn the Chinese aircraft. Taiwan calls China's repeated nearby military activities gray zone warfare. Designed to monitor Taiwan's forces by making them repeatedly scramble and also test Taiwan's responses. In other words, getting ready for a fight. The latest Chinese mission included 34 fighters plus four electronic warfare aircraft. In other words, the knockout, the radar and other systems that the Taiwanese have. Taiwan sent combat aircraft to warn away the Chinese aircraft. No media comment from the Chinese. The U.S. Pacific Fleet said on Sunday those exercises included two carrier groups, which are conducting training to preserve and protect a free and open Indo-Pacific. Right now, if you're at the Pentagon... Our military forces are having to try and gameplay a two-front war with Russia and China. You believe this? You believe this? I'm very serious about this. Certainly not rooting for it, but this is what you get when you, when you have the wrong man in the White House. This is what you get. Then on top of this, you get the propagandists that basically blame us. You can blame the administration, but you don't blame the nation and the American people. That's preposterous. So, about 8,500 personnel, United States forces have been placed on heightened preparedness to deploy if needed. Not to deploy to Ukraine, necessarily. Not to deploy to fight, necessarily. But to be positioned in some of our NATO countries. I mean, NATO's there for a reason. And perhaps the concern is that this could bleed into one of our allied countries. Should we get out of NATO, too? We're the ones who set up NATO. We set up NATO so we wouldn't have to go back to Europe and fight another world war. Should we get out of NATO? Get out of our agreements with Taiwan and Ukraine? Surrender the Monroe Doctrine, which apparently John Kerry already did. What else should we do? Battlefield America? Oh, that would be lovely. These are very troubling times, very grave. You'd be a fool. You'd be a nut to be trigger happy. And I don't think we are. I really don't. I think you have to have some modicum of intelligence to break down the different pieces of this rather than black and white. 
And we have exactly the wrong people in these positions right now. Exactly the wrong people. I mean, it is frustrating as hell to watch this. We knew, we knew the possibility of this. We knew the possibility of this. Uh, after January 20th, we knew the possibility of this. I'm talking about 2021. 20, uh, after Afghanistan. So we have big problems. And the kind of reporting that's being done is not very useful. It's not very helpful. And I want to tell you, much of the reporting that was done in World War II was no better. No better. And as long as the media continue to be uh, pom-pom boys and girls for this president, oh, I'm going to play you a few stories where they're somewhat critical of Biden, but not day in and day out, not seriously, not substantively. They still are focused on January 6th, Trump, this idiot Phil Bump writes another stupid piece in the Washington Compost. They can't help themselves. This is who they are. Rather than Congress immediately meeting under the Democrats. I mean, I got to be honest with you, under, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Democrats in the past, they would be increasing defense spending immediately. It takes time to, to move from passing a budget and pushing it through the production stream or the support stream. But the morale is low as a result of critical race theory and transitioning and investigating troops based on Facebook and on and, and, and mandates on vaccines, just as the morale generally in America is down as a result of what the Democrats have done. I'm just talking turkey with you. I'm just telling you what I see. And that you need to be very clear-eyed about what's taking place here. Very clear-eyed. We have exactly the wrong Speaker of the House. She's a buffoon and she's evil. Exactly the wrong Senate Majority Leader. He's a buffoon and evil. Exactly the wrong man in the White House. He's a buffoon and evil. They don't even like the military any more than they like law enforcement. You can see what they've done to our inner cities and beyond. And beyond in terms of the casualties that Americans have been suffering here. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Um... You heard the difference between somebody who's quite presidential and Joe Biden. And yet the media, of course, want to change all that around. We don't much care. And this is what I think that Biden said, which is the most provocative and dangerous. He made a lot of very foolish statements, but this one in particular. Go ahead. But he is trying to find his place in the world between China and the West. And so I'm not so sure that he has uh, David I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain hmm. what he's going to do my guess is he will move in he has to do something and by the way I've indicated to him 
the two things he said to me that he wants. I guess he will move in. I guess, in other words, he will, Putin, invade Ukraine. Go ahead. One is Ukraine will never be part of NATO. And two, that NATO or the there will not be strategic weapons stationed in Ukraine. Well, we can work out something on the second piece. My, my guess is he will move in. And the White House is now spinning desperately for their media friends. For their media friends. Remember when uh, President Reagan, some of you weren't old enough, but I remind you. Remember when President Reagan talked about the evil empire, the old Soviet Union and the Brezhnev and so forth, all the heat he took? How much heat do you think Biden will take? Next to none? That's my guess. And the language of the Democrats is more and more hysterical as they fear the loss of power. That if they don't win the House and the Senate in the next election cycle, we will lose our democracy. If they don't get their, their voting deform act passed, enshrining their power forevermore, then people of color will never be able to vote. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yes. Those Republicans, long history of supporting slavery and segregation and Jim... Oh, wait a minute. That's the Democrats. Here's the hyperbolic end of democracy prophecies. Hat tip, Grabian, cut one, go. The Democrats fail. It might be the end of American democracy. I think we're one election away from the end of American democracy. If they take over in 2022, that is the end of democracy, and we're going to have authoritarianism. I hope that we can flip this and save democracy. If we can't, I got to, you know, I got to believe that fascism will take over in America, and that will be the death of democracy. The potential death of democracy. The death of democracy. The death of democracy. The death of democracy as we know it. This protest now is not simply about the death of George Floyd. It's about the death of American democracy, decency, and humanity. I'm sad to say Whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that Michael... Eric Dyson, American democracy. He wants to protect American democracy, Mr. Producer. I thought he supported critical race theory and opposed the white-dominant society. Did he not? Now he's defending democracy. Shocking what a clown he is. Go ahead. Lead to the, uh, the diminishment of democracy, if not its death. It almost feels like we are witnessing the, the death of democracy here. The death of democracy line stood out to me, Jonathan, because I think that's just factually correct. Kind of the end of democracy, at least the end of our democracy. The return of Donald Trump to the White House could spell the end of democracy in America. We could have a Trump presidency, and that would, in my opinion, be the end of democracy in this country. I think that could be the end of our democracy, not to be too... You know, pointed about it. Hillary Clinton said a couple of weeks ago that if he runs and wins, that could be the end of our democracy. Do you share that fear? I do. Are you going to stand by and watch this man destroy the democracy? I hope he will be beaten or else it's the end of uh, democracy as we know it. That'll be the end of democracy as we know it. It's the end of democracy. That is a recipe for the end of democracy. The country is at risk as long as one of our two major parties is so committed to destroying our democracy. January 6th is what it was, was a potential end of our democracy. It would essentially mean the end of democracy in the United States of America, and that is not hyperbole. This is 
democracy at stake. We are at a defining moment in our democracy. And if we don't have voting rights, I don't know that we have a democracy. In Georgia, they are trying to destroy democracy. A systematic effort to dismantle democracy, not just voter suppression, but subversion. We don't like who you voted for, so we're just going to give it to the other guy. This is the end of democracy in America. This is the beginning of the South, the South Africa strategy. If he had won, it would, we would have been, it would have been the end of this country. It would have been the end of democracy. And I am not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. No, that's the scary part. Joy, you're an idiot. So, this isn't creating any hatred. This isn't creating any potential violence. When the media, their Democrat Party masters, when these pathetic shows with these yentas, like, uh, what is that show called? I don't know, The View. When they go on and on like this, hey, this is the end of democracy. Please pass me my uh, lobster, would you? And a lot of butter on that, would you? I can't keep this nice... Round figure, without it. This is the end of democracy. It's the end of democracy. If we have Trump, it's the end of democracy. Was it the end of democracy when we had Trump, ladies and gentlemen? No. The war on the Constitution is led by the same party that caused the Civil War. And caused long-term segregation after the Civil War. The Democrat Party, the war on democracy. If you don't support us, and they all talk the same way, they all say the same damn thing, they can't think for themselves, they just know. You know, here's the funny thing. I used to go into these studios when I was a guest, starting in the 1990s during the Clinton impeachment. Man, how long have I been doing this? 25 years or so, give or take. I would go into these studios. I wasn't a contributor early on, maybe, but I didn't like it, so I stopped. I just wanted to go on when I wanted to go on without getting any money. And you go into these makeup rooms, and they're all getting the makeup on, and it's, it's like a game. It's like a game. You had people who would constantly show up on TV, whether it was Clinton or Obama, and now it's this. They had their positions... And they would show up. They were primping their hair. They'd be staring in the, me- in the mirror. They'd be plucking their eyebrows, putting their lipstick on, checking their dress. And that's the guys. No. And then the guys, of course, checking the knot on their tie, making sure this their hair is in place. And, and then they'd show up. Each take a corner, each take a position. It actually made me sick. They don't believe this is the end of democracy. And yet there are people out there who will believe them. Remember how often the media lectured you and me about cooling the rhetoric. Cool the rhetoric. Cool it. Only we can call people Hitler. Only we can call people anti-Semites and racists and bigots. Only we can say that there's been a coup. Only we can challenge the election results. Biden's already challenged the midterm election results. He's already challenged them during his press conference. Nobody says, hey, cut it out. The memo doesn't go out. Don't challenge the election integrity. We've had enough violence in this country. No. It's what he said today. That's perfectly fine. 
Perfectly fine. Hakeem Jeffries, who hopes to replace Nancy Eva Stretch Pelosi. And I think I'm going to call him How Come Jeffries, Mr. Producer. Does that make sense? How come he might be the Speaker of the House if the Democrats take it back one day? How come? Guy's a quack, a radical kook. That's how come. How come Jeffries? At a press conference today, cut to go. There's 16 Republican senators who voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act in 2006 who are still here. All you need is 10 of them. All you need is 10 of them. This has nothing to do with reauthorizing the Voting Rights Act. Why are you lying? Why are you trying to confuse people? The Freedom to Vote Act is about unfreedom. And we've talked about this till I'm blue in the face. That this is basically a Democrat Party wish list. A little bit of California, a little bit of New Jersey, a little bit of Illinois. You know, where they have the cleanest elections. A little bit of Philly, my hometown. Bring it all together and what do you get? You get this. Crap. You get elections without integrity. Go ahead. Voting rights protections in place in the United States what of America. What voting rights so- protection, pal, are you putting in place? Name one. Well, we want these drop boxes. See, that's their, that's their cause. Of drop boxes. Because that's what Zuckerberg used to great effect, the drop boxes. Because it's too much, apparently, to ask the Democrat base to get off their ass and actually vote in person. It's too much to ask that we compare their signatures. It's too much to ask that they ask for a ballot. Let's send one to everybody. What could go wrong? No voter ID. No ability to challenge votes. Harvesting afterwards. What could go wrong, ladies and gentlemen? It's fantastic. And if you oppose it, you're obviously a white supremacist. Even if you aren't white, you're a white supremacist. Go ahead. Asking the question, and we'll continue to ask it, what happened to the modern-day Republican Party? Ah, shut up, you idiot. What happened to the modern-day Republican Party? Trust me. There's enough Svengali's in the modern-day Republican Party. But you can't get a single Republican to vote for your bill because it has nothing to do with civil rights. It has nothing to do with minorities voting. It has everything to do with enshrining the power of the Democrat Party as far as the eye can see. It's that simple. And they turn it into a civil rights act. They use Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King's birthday. We're going to launch it there. Then we'll show them. My God, we can create drama, anxiety, anger among our people in the base. We can do this. Then there's Then there's violence, and they wonder why. Because they have nothing to do with it, right? They take responsibility for nothing. Cut three, please. Go. And things aren't necessarily going to happen instantaneously. It didn't for Dr. King. It didn't for Rosa Parks. No, it didn't for Dr. King, you see. And this is all about Dr. King, of course. Go ahead. It didn't Fannie Lou Hamer or John Lewis or A. Philip Randolph. Or Roy Wilkins, or Adam Clayton Powell. Philip Randolph, in many respects. 
was a communist. Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Um, was either expelled or whatever it was from the House of Representatives for not showing up for work. He was replaced by, uh, we all know who the congressman is who's since, who was the guy lying on a beach chair or a beach, uh, whatever it is, in, uh, in the Dominican Republic. You remember? From Harlem. Anyway, he was replaced. Go ahead. Junior, Shirley Chisholm, and we're inspired. Hugo Chavez, Cesar Chavez, we're, we're inspired wait, wait, wait by... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hugo? No, he meant Cesar Chavez. Does he even know the things that Cesar Chavez said? about people south of the border who are coming into the United States who aren't citizens and coming in illegally? We did an entire show on this. Remember, Mr. Producer? Remember he called them greenbacks? Remember he said they should be reported? Remember he sent out members of his union to monitor the southern border to keep them out? He said that they were union busters, that they were undermining his entire movement? That's Cesar Chavez. Charlie Rangel. That's right. Charlie Rangel ran against Adam Clayton Powell Jr. And obviously won. Yeah, he won. I remember Charlie. You remember Charlie? You remember him? I remember him. Where is he? Nobody else remembers. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. The View is one of the worst programs on television. It portrays women in a stereographic way as low IQ, hardcore lefties. Doesn't mean to, but it does. Who don't think for themselves, group think. And a uh, pliant audience that claps like a bunch of seals. There's nothing thoughtful on the program. It's provocative. That's all it is. Those women, when they discuss history to the extent that they do, have no idea what they're talking about. It's like sitting around a table where they're getting drunk off red wine or I don't know. I don't know what liberal women do. But they come off very poorly, very stupidly, and very predictably. Again, they create a stereotype that I thought the women's movement was all against. Was all against. You take a look at Joy Behar if you must. She's not a self-made woman. She's a failure. She's being propped up by, by the corporatists. By the corporatists. And anybody who really gets crossways with her, Whoopi Goldberg, they remove. Or they beat them down. Like a Meghan McCain and so forth. But I want to demonstrate to you just how bad this is. I will use the example of what happened today. Let's listen to cut one. Go. 
Holocaust. Well, also, if you're going to do this, then let's be truthful about it, because the Holocaust isn't about race. No, no, it's well, not about race. It's, 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 no, it's about a, a different it, race. But it's it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. It's well, about but it's not, it's not about and, and race. It's and but these are two Romans. white groups of people. Well, how do we have to black people see too. them as white people? But, but you're missing the point. You're yeah. missing the point. Yeah. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. It's a problem. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, because black, white, Jews, uh, it's ha- everybody eats each other. So is it, if you're uncomfortable, if you hear about mouse, should you be worried? Should, should your child say, oh my God, I, I wonder if that's me? No, that's not what they're going to say. They're going to say, I don't want to be like that. Well, hopefully. Well, I want to be cool. Yeah. And well, yeah. Most kids, most kids, they, they don't want to be cool. No, they don't. And, and we're living in a, you know, we're living in an era where people are, are comparing vaccine cards to the yellow stars, where people are comparing mm-hmm. vaccinations to what Anne Frank yeah. went through. Yeah. So it is necessary for kids to learn about yeah, the yeah. Learn about. About man's what? inhumanity to man, however it exposes itself. I have to cut you off. I just want to say that mouse was banned and it flew to the right. top. All right, I get a headache from these these buffoons. Let's 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 try and figure this out. Why does Whoopi Goldberg keep saying this isn't about race? Is she utterly unfamiliar with Adolf Hitler's writings and statements? about Jews as the mongrel race, the rat race, as a separate race? Are not Jews treated this way by many Muslim countries, by terrorists, by even relatively new immigrants into our own country from some of these Arab and Muslim countries? We saw what happened not long ago when people were driving around with the Palestinian flag and chasing down Jews and hitting the diamond section and all the rest of it or during the Black Lives Matter riots, swastikas on synagogues. This is just whites hating whites. Whites hating whites. Is that all it is? Why does she keep insisting on this? Any idea, Mr. Producer? Any idea, Mr. Call Screener? I have a lot of ideas on this. People hating people. That's all it is. People hating people. There's nothing different, you see, about the Holocaust from any other mass murder. Nothing different. Do you notice the critical race theory movement never talks about other minorities? Now, it's spreading to Latin crit and others who are embracing it and promoting it. Let me be more specific. Do you notice it never talks about Jews, Mr. Producer? 
He never talks about the racism against Jews. He never talks about the slavery of Jews. He never talks about the genocide of Jews that happened 70, 80 years ago. Not 150 years ago, I'm just pointing it out. Why is that? What is Whoopi Goldberg getting at here? See, this is the dumbing down of history, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. The dumbing down of history. Then you hear Navarro in the background. An incredibly stupid human being. Nasty, stupid human being. They're comparing vaccine cards to the yellow stars where people are are comparing vaccinate. So she's over-talking Goldberg, who's trying to make the part that there's nothing to distinguish what's been going on with the Jews for 5,000 years from anybody else. And Navarro's saying, oh, no, 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 but look, look at the Trump people and the, and the others uh, uh, comparing uh, vaccinations to, uh, to Anne Frank and so forth and so on. The people who do the most comparisons to Hitler are on the left. And they do it without consequence. And on occasion, there should be comparisons. But they do it without consequence. They do it over and over and over again to President Trump. Or anyone they disagree with. So when Whoopi Goldberg, she doesn't explain herself, so we have to try and, 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 and discern. Says, let's not go down that route on this. This is about man's inhumanity to man. That's why when Omar said the things she said, there was not a resolution in the House to condemn her for what she said about Jews and her anti-Semitism. There was a watered-down resolution that basically talked about man's inhumanity to man. So she, in specific, wouldn't be condemned. Because of this growing anti-Semitic movement in the Democrat Party, I'm going to just tell you the truth, among recent immigrants to this country from the Middle East and in places like Brooklyn, New York, Am I allowed to speak the truth, Mr. Producer? Am I speaking the truth? There's no question about it. And so I think Whoopi Goldberg needs to explain herself. I know she'll backpedal. She needs to explain herself. Everybody taking shots at Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan didn't do a damn thing. Taking shots at Aaron Rodgers, ESPN. God, if they didn't have an issue like that, what the hell would they talk about? Big deal. What about Whoopi Goldberg? What she said is disgusting. She needs to elaborate and explain herself. Now, she won't be criticized by the Anti-Defamation League because the Anti-Defamation League is now controlled by an Obama leftist. Leftists, they have embraced critical race theory in the, in the various movements. They've invited some of the authors of it to speak to their various conventions. In other words, they've ceased being what they were supposed to be. And it's been pointed out 
that the Anti-Defamation League once took the position, and I quote, that racism, quote, is the belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another, that a person's social and moral traits are predetermined by his or her inborn biological characteristics. Racial separatism is the belief, most of the time based on racism, that different races should remain segregated and apart one from the other. I don't disagree with that. I think that's a pretty damn good definition. You want to know the truth. But it's pointed out by Jerry Dunleavy, the Anti-Defamation League changed its definition of racism sometime in July or August of 2020. To what? To this. Racism. Colon. The marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. You see, the old definition couldn't work. It couldn't work. Because the ADL has apparently concluded, like the Democrat Party, for whom it effectively is associated, and the media and the rest, that racism isn't about treating individuals equally, regardless of their race or your race. Racism is about, as the critical race theory Marxists have been burping up, the white dominant society oppressing everybody else. That's the Anti-Defamation League, fighting hate for good. They're disgusting. They're a disgrace. They truly are. They have no serious mission other than to push the left. Just like this show, The View. The View. And you know what? Joy Behar, you barely said anything. You barely stood up. I expect the woman who was sitting to your left, Navarado or whatever the hell her name is, to be as dumb as a doorknob as you are too but you made a very weak passive feckless response none of the women did on there because they're scared of Whoopi Goldberg she's the matriarch effectively if you will but she needs to explain herself the executives over there at the view need to explain themselves those who syndicate the show and run the show, they need to explain themselves too. What the hell exactly did Whoopi Goldberg mean? And if we get this line, she wants all people to live in peace. That's not what I'm talking about. What did she mean? She just rewrote everything Hitler said. And we need to teach history, says the other one. Well, then teach history. What did Hitler say? What did he say? Why was he so hell-bent on wiping out the Jews? Well, he also went after gypsies and gay people. We know that. But he didn't write extensively about gypsies and gay people. It was the Jews he was obsessed with. Why? 
Why downplay that? I'm serious. And you don't have to be Jewish to raise this question. 